So uh, last year in August, I started to go through the book of Genesis. And um, we want to jump back into the book of Genesis and kind of try to finish that through, hopefully finish it by August. That's the plan. Um, And the reason that I wanted to go through the book of Genesis is because it's such a foundational book for understanding the Bible. Uh, you, you know it's the first book of the Bible, so you understand that. And it's, it's foundational in a sense that it talks about some really important things. Uh, if you want a, a quick outline for the book of Genesis, it's very simply this. Chapters 1 through 11, you have four events. You have the, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. So those are four events, but it's 11 chapters, so it's pretty brief, right? It's not giving you a whole lot of information. It's just telling you kind of some of the basics of why are, where are we? How did we get here? Uh, the meat of the book, though, is chapters 12 through 50, which talks about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Well, Jacob's family, Joseph was his brother or his son. Uh, so you're really following the patriarchs. So the emphasis of the book is not really on the events, uh, which we tend to think about when we think of Genesis, but it's on the lives of the patriarchs. And the pivotal chapter in Genesis is Genesis 12, which where God comes to Abraham and we have the Abrahamic covenant or an agreement. And God makes a promise to Abraham. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Now, why is this important? Because if you understand Genesis, it makes a lot of the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament makes sense, but it also makes a lot of the New Testament. You'll understand the New Testament because the New Testament references back many times to the book of Genesis. If you understand what's going on in Genesis, it helps. In fact, I'm going to show you a passage where Paul is referring back to Genesis to make his point in the book of Romans. And, and we're going to look at that event. And so if, having known the event and knowing what's gone, uh, going on in the players there, you can understand what Paul is saying within context. If you're just reading the New Testament and you don't know who the characters are, it won't make as much sense to you. So that's kind of where we're going to go. We're going to start uh, going through the book of... Uh, we're not going to start with the book of Genesis because we already finished chapter 11. We, we went through the life of Abraham. So we're going to look at Isaac. Today we're going to look at Isaac who has two sons. And they're twins. And they're a handful. They're an absolute handful. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Uh, but these are dysfunctional families. And somebody has said, and I think it's a great statement, uh, God delights in writing straight lines with crooked sticks. And if you don't know who the crooked sticks are, look in the mirror, because <laughs> it's you and me, right? And uh, another writer, Paul, put it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it, cl- th- this makes it clear that our great power f- is from God, not from ourselves. So... You may not want to be, uh, you may not want to be seen as a crooked stick, but we are. But the good thing about a crooked stick is God can take a crooked stick and He can draw a straight line. God can take a cracked pot and put a precious, uh, treasure in there. And so that's what we want to look at. We're going to focus on Isaac, Abraham's son, and we're going to see that there's a certain amount of level of faith that he has, but he also parallels the life of his father, Abraham, in many ways, Isaac does. Uh, they both had wives who were barren. They both uh, faced a famine. They were both faced with a famine. Now, when Abraham was faced with a famine, he went down to Egypt. And uh, we'll see Isaac is going to be faced with a famine. They both tried to pass their wives off as their sisters. They both struggled. Uh, their, their workmen, uh, their uh, 
servants struggled with uh, warring among each other. We'll see that. In many ways, uh, Isaac's life is a rerun of Abraham's. But the thing about Isaac was he has learned some lessons from his father. Remember Isaac. One of the things you'll learn about Isaac is this. He, and many of you know this, he was the, the son that, that Abraham tied up and put on the altar and raised the knife to offer him. And God said, stop. God said, stop. So there's, there's a certain, he's, he's gone on this faith journey with his father and he understands the level, the, the, the amount of faith that, that, that uh, is, is involved here. So we're going to jump in uh, in Genesis chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, there's a chair Bible in the sheet in front of you. You can look at that. And it's on page 20. uh, 20. It's Genesis 25, verse 19 through 26. I'll start reading. It's verse 19. And I'll start reading uh, chapter 25, verse 19. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, uh, the Arminian, from Pandan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Armin. Isaiah uh, pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. And so she went to ask the Lord about it. What's happening to me, she asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. And your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. The other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. So there's three observations we want to make from this passage and draw them. The first one is they're fighting. (laughs) Uh, There's a battle of the babies, right? Moms, happy Mother's Day. Uh, you, you have children, and if you have more than one child, many times they will fight with one another. I grew up in a family of five boys, no sisters, and we fought. Uh, I have five boys, and from time to time they would fight. And this is just part of being a parent and certainly part of being a mom. Now, they weren't just fighting after they were born. They were fighting in her womb. I mean, if you could have done uh, an ultrasound... You might have seen boxing gloves on them. But there was this, this, this turmoil within her womb. And she asked the Lord, what's going on? And basically he says, these two boys are going to become great nations, but the older boy will serve the younger. So there's something pretty significant going on. And she inquires of the Lord. And uh, we see that. And this reversal is, we see this all over in Scripture, where the older will serve the younger. The older is, in that day and age and in that culture, it was, uh, it was, the norm was that the older would receive the blessing. The older would be the one where the blessing would come through the older, not the younger. What we're going to see in the weeks to come is that Jacob is going to steal the blessing that was meant for Esau, and he is going to, Esau will serve Jacob. And we'll see that as we move through this passage of Scripture. So the promise was made 
um, to Abraham, and it was to be passed. It was passed on to Isaac. Uh, and but yet the, pe- the 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 blessing wouldn't come to Esau, the firstborn. It would come to Jacob. Now, when Esau was born, Jacob had his hand on his heel, so it was like a close uh, race there to who was going to be born first. But nonetheless, Esau would have gotten the blessing. Uh, we're going to follow this family, family, and you will see that Esau, the oldest son, uh, had the blessing coming. But God, in His sovereign grace, brought the great reversal. And he says this to the mother before the boys are even born. Uh, the older will serve the younger. Um, now, this is a pattern of the pattern of the older serving the younger is, is oh, we see this over and over in Scripture. We see Abel's offering is accepted. Cain's was rejected. The line of Seth was chosen over the line of Cain. Isaac is cho- chosen over Ishmael. Uh, Rachel is chosen over her older sister Leah. And then we'll see even Joseph was chosen over his other brothers. And uh, so this is this is a reversal that goes on all the time. Now, remember, I said that we we're going to come to a passage in Romans where Paul talks about this event. Well, I want you to go there right now. Romans chapter nine. This is on page 863 of the chair Bible. And I want to read this passage. And again, the, the reason why we, we were, were studying the book of, of Genesis is obviously we want to learn from them. But the other thing is, we, when we go to the New Testament, we see that they're referring back to the, the, the Old Testament. And so this is exactly what Paul's doing here. He's referring back to this event, the birth of the twins. And he's making a spiritual application that we'll try to see there. Romans chapter 9, verse 10. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he remarried Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own good purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son shall serve your younger. Now, God makes it very clear from the beginning that he does not play favorites. There are no favorites with God. Um, There's no privileged positions. Being born of Abraham wasn't enough. Being born of, uh, of Isaac wasn't enough. Being born of uh, Rebekah and Isaac wasn't enough. Being the oldest child wasn't enough. Um, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. And that's really important to understand. So Paul's point is this. In the same way, before these twins were ever born, uh, before they could ever do or earn anything, uh, the, the grace came. In the same way, our salvation is all about grace. It's not based upon our merits, our works. God chooses the weak and the foolish of this world to show his grace. He shames the wise and the proud. And that's why he says the older will serve the younger. The blessing should have come to the older, but it comes to the younger. It's all based upon grace, not upon position, not effort or achievement. God is sovereign in his grace. And there are people today who think, I'm going to... uh, Receive salvation because I'm good enough or because I was born into the right family or because I believe the right thing. And what we have to understand is God's grace comes sovereignly to us. It's grace. It's free grace. And we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. It's not because we were born. Some of you would say I was born into a Christian family. Well, you might have been born into a Christian family, but that doesn't make you a Christian, right? That doesn't make you a Christian. This is something that we don't earn. It's not something we deserve. It comes to us by grace. 
Sounds like this young man's having a little problem, and that's okay. He'll be okay. All right. So it doesn't come by works. It comes by grace, right? Now notice what uh, Matthew, uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. This is on page 742. Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. So Jesus, do you remember the time that Jesus, uh, the little children were coming to Jesus and um, Jesus, you know, the disciples were trying to shoo them away and Jesus says, no, permit the little children to come to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to one such as these. And his point wasn't to say they have great theology. Kids don't have great theology. They have horrible theology. You know, they don't know theology. It's not what they believe, but they have a trust. They have a trust. And grace comes not to the people who think, I deserve it, I've earned it, I've been born in the right place. No, no. Paul's whole point when he looks back at this story in Genesis saying that it comes by grace. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, it comes by grace. So that's the first thing that we see. So that's the first one. There's, there's, a, there's a fight. <laughs> there's a battle. And in the weeks to come, we're going to see this battle play out. Uh, secondly, there's favoritism. The sins of the parents. You see... We're told that Isaac loved Esau. He was the firstborn. He was the rugged one. He was the outdoorsman. He was the hunter. He was the, he was the one who would get the game and he, and he would get the, the meat and he'd make the stew and his father loved the stew. And he was the one that the dad, he was dad's, dad's boy, right? He was the joy of his father's heart. And he would be the, uh, but, but what God was saying to, to, to both the parents was, but he will not be the son of the blessing. Now, when you want to think of Esau, and the description is pretty interesting, it says that he's red and hairy. <laughs> he had hair all over. So when you think of, uh, if you think of Esau, think of pickup trucks, tattoos, ponytails, dog, shotgun. Uh, that's, that's Esau. He was like literally the first redneck. I mean, <laughs> he was. He was the outdoors guy. He was the redneck, okay? So I thought, I thought, in honor of the mothers, I should tell some yo mama jokes. But Carol said, no, that's probably, that's probably not a good idea. And no, she didn't, and I didn't ask her, but it works for what I'm going to do now. So instead of doing yo mama jokes, I thought I'd do some redneck jokes, all right? You might be a redneck if, okay? So I don't want to offend anyone, but if this is too close to home, then you can come and yell at me later. All right. You might be a redneck if you can move your house with your truck. You might be a redneck if you burn your yard rather than mow it. You might be a redneck if you think the stock market has a fence around it. You might be a redneck if you think a chainsaw is a musical instrument. I love this one. This is like my favorite. You might be a redneck if you think taking out the trash means taking your in-laws to a movie. (laughs) Edit that one out in case my in-laws are listening to the message. And then, moms, I have one for you. I have one for you. You might be a redneck if your mother has ammo on her birthday list. (laughs) I want to pray for the moms. Uh, we're so happy that you're here, and we hope this is a special day, but I do want to pray for you. Let, let's just bow our heads, and I'll just pray. 
Father, we do thank you for the moms that are represented here today and thank you for the hard work that they do and for the love that they give and they look out for everyone but themselves most of the time. And we just would ask that this would be a special day of blessing for them and that you would encourage their hearts. We also know, Father, that a day like today can bring pain and uh, disappointment to some. We pray for those moms that uh, aren't, that want to be but can't be. We would pray that your hand of blessing would be upon them and that you would help them uh, during this day. We ask, Father, also for those who are here today who have lost mothers, uh, and maybe recently in the last couple of weeks or months or even the last couple of years, and there's a, void, a real void there because they really love their moms and their moms are a big part of their lives. They're not there anymore. We would pray that you just be a very present help in their lives and encourage them. And finally, Father, we pray for those that may be here today that never really had their mom, don't know who their mom is, but uh, maybe you, you brought somebody else into their life that became uh, kind of that mom person. And uh, we just ask uh, for your blessing upon that person. And we just uh, pray that this would be a special day for all the moms. And uh, thank you for the moms that uh, are just plugging away, working hard. We pray that you'd give them grace and mercy and just the wisdom and patience and everything that they need in the, the, the most difficult and the most uh, important work that they do in raising their kids. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, you have Esau, the first redneck, and you have Jacob, who's an indoors one. He's a mama's boy. He's a schemer. And sadly, his mother joins him in scheming. She knows about the blessing, and she knows, uh, and she helps him steal the blessing. So this is a really, as I said before, dysfunctional family. Because you have a father who prefers one child, you have a mother who prefers another child, and you have them kind of scheming against one another, really. And uh, really, one side is doing the scheming, the other side is just kind of going on with life, not realizing what they're losing along the way. But that being said, they both play favorites. And so it's a very unhealthy situation and it's a very unhealthy environment. And I just want to ask you as we, as we talk about this whole idea, uh, do, you, do you as a parent show favoritism over one child or another? If we were to put your children in a room and if we were to say to your kids, do your, did your parents show favoritism to either one of you uh, or any of you? Uh, would they say, and could they honestly say, you know what, uh, they treated us differently, but they treated us equally. And frankly, that makes a whole lot of sense because all of your kids are different. But some of you uh, have children who you have, the, you, if you have more than one child, you have three or four children or whatever, uh, it's very easy that there are some children that you can connect with and you just, it's easy. It's just not a lot of work, Right. And you, you spend time with them, you can talk with them, and they talk with you. And then there's others that are like, I don't know what to do here. They're like, it's like they're from a different planet. How do I? Re-? And so you kind of you kind of distance yourself from that child or something, or maybe they're rebellious. Um, here's the thing: your kids ought to know. Your kids ought to know that you love them equally. And so, parents, don't play favorites. Seek to love each of your kids unconditionally. It's possible that you'll have a child that you can relate to. Or maybe you do this. Maybe you're the parent that says, you know, I have this problem child, and I'm putting all my energy and time into this problem child, and the compliant child is just getting left in the dust. 
And that's not fair, is it? So uh, what are you doing as a parent? Are you, are, you, are you sitting back and saying, okay, do my kids really know and understand that I love them equally and unconditionally? Are, are you communicating that? Or am I communicating something very different to them by my actions and by my words? So I just ask you to examine your heart and examine what you're doing with your children. Here's the last lesson we can draw from this, and that's the, the lesson of faith. And it's the pleading, the pleading par- prayer. Um, have you ever done this? Have you ever prayed to God? You said, God, um, I really need this or help me here. I don't know what to do here. I'm struggling here. And you pray to God and you say, does he hear me? Does he care? Does he, is he even there? I'm just a, a little I'm just a little pawn in, in a little person in this whole universe. How could he ever have time for me? How could he ever care for me? Why would he ever want to care for me? Have you ever felt that way? You know, many of the psalmists have cried out, "How long, O Lord?" And Isaiah pr- prayed. It doesn't say he just prayed; it said he pleaded. He pleaded with God. Now, as we read this passage, it's very interesting. You read this passage, and it says that Abra- uh, that that that. that um, Isaac pleaded with the Lord, and then all of a sudden, here it is, Rebecca has a little child, right? You say, oh, good, you know, God answered that prayer. And you say, well, why did, God, why, did, uh, why did Isaac plead with God? Well, of course, she needed to have a child, and they needed to have a child, but there's something bigger going on there. And that's why I want you to jump over to Genesis chapter 12. This is on page 10 of the Chair Bible. Uh, Genesis 12 is one of the critical passages of all of the Bible, and I think it's important for us just to look at it very quickly so you can see why. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, page 10. This is God speaking to Abraham, and he says this, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your family, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that treat you with contempt, and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, he makes a number of promises. He says, number one, I'm going to give you land. Number two, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you so many descendants you won't be able to count them. In fact, he says at one point, he takes Abraham out and he says, count the stars. He says, no, you can't because that's the same. You won't be able to count your descendants. You're going to have so many descendants you won't be able to count them. Well, he didn't have a son. You know, when God made this promise, he didn't have a son. And so, you know, that's nice, God, that you said we're going to have land. I haven't seen that. Don't have a son. And then he says the third thing, he says, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. All the nations of the earth. Well, how'd that happen? Well, we know how that happened. All the, all the nations, even us in, this, in, this, uh, in the nation of the United States, all of us have been blessed through who? Jesus Christ, who is of the line of Abraham. So we see how this, this God is, is beginning to make a promise about how he's going to bring salvation and forgiveness to all of mankind through Abraham. So now Abraham's son is, is on this planet and he's married, but they have no children. <laughs> Do you see the problem now? How am I going to have all these descendants when I don't have any children? <laughs> That's his problem. Now, we read this prayer. And God makes this promise to Abraham, and of course, Abraham had children, so that's good. Uh, but notice, uh, Isaac prays the same prayer that Abraham prayed for. And, uh, you know, it, it says that Sarah was like 99 when she finally had a child, you know. So Abraham went a long time before he finally had a child with Sarah, his wife. 
Um, but Isaac prays this prayer. And when we read the passage, and we read it, it's the first passage we read in Genesis. Very interesting. As you read this passage, it says that, Abra- uh, that Isaac was 40 years old when he prays his prayer. And then it says that Rebecca's wife had a baby and they all lived happily ever after, right? Well, he didn't because the twins were fighting and there's a problem there. But we have a child, right? One problem solved. And sometimes, if you notice this, sometimes one problem solved it just creates newer problems down the road. That's another story. But the whole point is he's praying for a child and he's pleading with God and finally God gives him a child. Do you know that he was 40 years old when he prayed that prayer? Do you want to know when their kids were born? 20 years later. No, when you read the passage, it seems like it just happened right away. It didn't. It was 20 years later. 20 years later. Now, here's the point. There are times where you plead with God, you ask God, you, and God just seems, heaven seems silent. It seems like God's not working. And, and you go, God, it's been three hours. <laughs> it's been two days. And I've been praying. You haven't answered. What's going on? Sometimes God is silent for years. And here's what happens. When God is silent for years, and you've been pleading with Him for years, and you think He doesn't care, and you think He doesn't hear you, He does. Isaac waited 20 years. Here's what happens. You're tempted, and there's an enemy that wants you to do it, to take a shortcut. Take a shortcut. God doesn't care. God doesn't hear Take a shortcut. And here's what the shortcuts look like. The enemy will whisper in your ear, God's promises seem to be taking a long time. Perhaps we can give him a hand. Help him out. He's busy. He's got a whole universe. We'll fix it ourselves. And so we do things like this. We say things like, oh, I'm not going to wait for a Christian to marry. I have this fine boy and he's... He's, I'm in love with this great guy. And maybe he'll become a Christian down the road. I'm a Christian. Uh, and, and, and I know I should only marry another Christian. But why would God allow me to fall in love with this other person? Surely it's in God's will. I'll just take this shortcut. Or maybe um, you, you, the, the enemy says, you know, I know this is against company policy, but everybody does it and it saves time. I know it's illegal. I know we shouldn't do it, but it saves time. Or um, you're in a place where no one knows you. You're far away. And, and, and the enemy says, go ahead, do it. No one knows you, you, you here. No one will ever know. It'll just be between you and me. And I just want to say to the guys here today that the times that you're the most vulnerable that I've found is this. When you're under stress... When you're in it, you have extra time. And when you're in a place where no one knows you. And the enemy will come strongly and he'll say to you, go ahead and do it. it. No one will find out. It won't hurt anyone. And it will absolutely do incredible damage to you and everyone you love. I just... I'm just saying, the enemy will do that to you. The enemy wants you to take a shortcut. The the enemy will also say this. It's only a little sin and God will forgive you in the end. Go ahead. Do you know that Abraham took a shortcut? Turn to Genesis chapter 16. Like I said, Sarah was an old lady when she finally had the the son of promise, Isaac. 
she's a, I mean, the, the scripture is pretty clear. They were as good as dead as far as giving birth to kids. And she gets pregnant. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 16. And, and their names are changed. Sarai and it's Abram, but it's Sarah and Abraham because their names get changed. So just think of Sarah and Abraham. Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she, she had an Egyptian servant named, named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Insert, take a shortcut here. Perhaps if I have children through her, and, and perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. So in other words, they're saying, let's help God out. Now here's how they helped God out. Ishmael was born, and Ishmael became the father of all the Arabs. Now, the Hebrews and the Arabs don't seem to get along very well. They've never seemed to get along very well. And my point is this. Let's help God out. Let's try to fix things. Let's try to solve things. And, and you know what? Uh, today, Islam looks at Ishmael as being the son of the promise. Christianity and Judaism says, no, Isaac is the son of promise. Even though Ishmael was the firstborn. It's the reversal of the firstborn. The point I want you to see is this. When you pray to God and you think He's waiting and you think He's delaying, you're going to be tempted to take a shortcut. Do not take a shortcut. Don't do it. Wait for the Lord. Shortcuts lead to headaches and heartaches in the long run. And I am so glad that Jesus didn't take a shortcut. And He was tempted to do that. In His temptation, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is taken to the wilderness and for 40 days and 40 nights He has nothing. He is just physically and emotionally drained. And the enemy comes to him and says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. And the enemy is basically saying, take a shortcut. You can have it all without going to the cross. You don't need to go to the cross. There's no need for that. Let's not go crazy here. Peter comes to Jesus one time and he says... Um, he says, uh, Jesus says, well, who do people say that I am? Some say you're you know, a prophet. Some say you're the... And, and, and Jesus says, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. In other words, he's saying, Peter, you're speaking the very words of my Father. And then Peter, you know, probably pretty proud of himself. He, I mean, that's a great thing to say. Powerful, right on the money. Good thing, you know, and he, then he says, it says in the passage, you can read it. It says, and Jesus began to tell how he must suffer and die. And Peter comes up to him and says, oh, now I'm gonna, this is Matt's translation of all of that. You can read it. He says, over my dead body. Peter says, you're going to die over my dead body. And Jesus looks at Peter, and, and this, this must have happened within moments. And Peter Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. What was Peter saying? Take a shortcut. Take a shortcut. Jesus is in the garden. Luke chapter 22. He walks away from his disciples who he asked to pray for him about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not 
mine. And so Jesus is praying is that if there's any other way, Father, that you want to work, I'm open to that. But I will not take a shortcut. I will not take a shortcut. He loved us too much, and he refused to take a shortcut. If he had, we would have been lost, still in our sins, and dead to life. Jesus loved you so much that he would not take a shortcut so that you could live through his death. See, somebody has to pay the price for our sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And, and, and when we put our faith not in, I was born in the right family, I'm the firstborn, I'm privileged. No, 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 no. When we say I'm lost, I'm a crooked stick, I'm a broken pot, and I need a Savior. And Jesus came from heaven to earth to be the Savior. The rescue party of one came to earth, climbed up on, got off of his throne, came to earth, and and rescued us, climbed up on a cross so that we could. He died so that we could live. He took away the, the pain of. He took away the penalty and the pain of, of sin and death. He died so that we could live, but he didn't take a he didn't take a shortcut. Now, where Isaac blew it was he played favorites. He had a favorite son. Where he got it right was when he pleaded with God, he didn't take a shortcut. He didn't say, well, let's try what Dad did. <laughs> no, he waited, and God gave him Isaac. And you know what the first thing he did after Isaac got old enough? He says, okay, let's see if you love him more than you love me. And that was the whole altar thing. And God put... Or, uh, Isaac, uh, Abraham put Isaac on the altar and, 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 got, and uh, Abraham lifted his, his hand up ready to strike him dead and God said stop. And on that same mountain 2,000 years ago Jesus was lifted up and the knife went up and no one said stop. The knife came down and he died. He didn't take a shortcut for you. He went according to plan, and he gave his life. Jesus didn't take a shortcut. He went to the cross for you because he loves you and me. So I don't know what God is going to take from this message for you that you'll say, all right, I, I need to think about how I'm dealing with my kids. Am I showing favoritism? I, I need to look at my own life and say, what is my salvation based upon? Do I think that I'm going to heaven because I'm good enough? Or because I'm born in a Christian family or something? Or do I really understand grace? For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. As any man. Do I understand that? Or maybe you're at a point where you've been taking shortcuts. And you know, shortcuts lead to headaches and heartaches. And you just got to stop. See, see, here's the good news. The good news is every one of us is a crooked stick. But God can take crooked sticks and still write a straight line. He can do it. Even, you know, He can do it with Abraham. He can do it with Isaac. He can do it with Esau and Jacob. He can do it with Joseph. He can do it with you and me. And if we do that, we know that we're flawed people, but we're, you know, and, and we're broken people. 
And we say, but, but if we have Christ in us, then everything changes. And that's the hope that we have. We're broken pots with this precious presence of God within us. That's the hope that we have. So I don't know what you're going to take from this, but I hope you'll take something. And you'll, you, you use it to say, I'm going to take a step closer to Christ today. Maybe more like what Christ is. More like He desires me to be. Let me pray for you right now. And me. So Father, help us. Because this is a challenging, challenging thing to do. We are crooked sticks. We are broken pots. And it's easy for us to uh, think that we're good enough to get to heaven on our own. But we're not. We need a Savior. It's also easy for us, Father, to play favorites as parents. And some of us would have to admit we have done that. We are doing that right now. Maybe Father's favoring our boys over our girls. Or... I don't know. And Father, we're all challenged and tempted when we plead with You for something that there's a, there's a shortcut. And we know it's not what You want, but we just we think it's okay to take that shortcut, and it's not. It leads to headaches and heartaches. Thank You for Jesus that He didn't take any shortcuts. He went to the cross. And he would not be deterred. And he willingly gave his life. Thank you that he rose on the third day and he's alive today. And we have hope because of that. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.